This is the Commercial Property Show Australia. Show number four. In my opinion, if they lock up any developed country for 12 months straight, there's going to be no economy to come back to. How's everyone doing today? I'm your host, Andrew Bean, and we have another great informative show again for you today. Scott O'Neill from Rethink Investing weighs in on COVID-19 and starting a portfolio during this pandemic. He also shares where he is buying for his clients and a clever rental guarantee that is a must-have in the current climate. Chris Lang shares his thoughts on the future of retail and drops a few gems of wisdom for retail landlords with vacancies. James Dawson helps us navigate through the ever-changing landscape of a commercial landlord during the coronavirus pandemic. If you own a commercial property, this is a must-listen. And Marcus War is our next everyday investor on fire, and he shares how he used commercial property and buyer's agents to transform his negatively geared portfolio. Before we get into it, if you could show your support by simply subscribing giving the podcast a five-star rating, and if you're really enjoying it, a review. You can find the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search Commercial Property Show. Scott O'Neill from Rethink Investing is my next guest. How are you, Scott? Very good. Yourself? Yeah, I'm good, mate. Apart from what's happening around the world, but I, I'm good. For the listeners that aren't aware, can you just give a quick overview of your investing experience, your portfolio, and, and when you reach financial freedom? Yes. Yeah, so um, I started investing around the GSC, and I started in residential like most people. I always chased high yield because it was a bit of a defense strategy for me. I thought, if I buy a high yielding property and it uh, doesn't grow too much, um, that's you know a, probably a better thing for me if I'm getting a good yield in the meantime. So my first property was in Sydney, but it was like a house and granny flat type arrangement. So that extra income from the granny flat made the investment a positively geared investment. And that's I just got addicted from it from there because that was producing about 10,000 per annum after all costs with a fairly high leverage on that one. And I thought, you know what, if, uh, if I get growth and cash flow all at once, it's uh, sort of the double whammy. And I uh, yet invested in more houses and found the yields were getting harder and harder to find in residential. And I naturally uh, went into commercial and never looked back from there. And I currently own 32 properties worth uh, over 20 million. I'm 33 wow. myself now. So it's, um, yeah, it's been a pretty busy few years. That is so cool. What year did you reach financial freedom? Uh, I reached it about five, six years ago. So at the time I had, I was, it was about 20 properties, but I was producing over 150 grand passive income. So uh, like I say to my clients, it's not about the number of properties. Like you could have one really good property producing more income than 20 average ones. It's, it's really about the passive income for me. 
that's why I think we all invest uh, to create financial freedom. You don't you, look. The best way to create financial freedom is to replace your working income, and uh, that's that's how I was being able to do it. And I did it through a combination of houses and uh, unit blocks, like small regional unit blocks, used to be really high yielding assets. You know, back in the uh, you know 2012, 13, 14 era, and um, you know you used to be able to get a 10% gross yield quite easily back then. Um, yep. Much harder to find that now, but commercial there is, is still yields where you can get seven and eight percent net returns in good quality areas capital city locations as well so it was really just the combination of high yielding investments which which got me it to that point and um i was an engineer so it was very numerical based every time i made a decision with property it was all about factoring in the risk the chances of a vacancy and also planning for the worst case scenario because that was really set in stone uh, from my first investment because it was in the GFC period, which everything was like, it was worse than what it is now, I feel. Uh, the doom and gloom felt long-term. You know, this this doom and gloom we're feeling with COVID-19 is potentially a lot quicker than it was back then. So I'm, I'm used to the negativity, as, as many of your listeners would be, but you just got to buy the right types of assets that hold their own a little bit better than others. Yeah, that's right. I've asked Scott here today to talk about starting a portfolio from scratch in today's climate. Now, people seem pretty scared right now, I guess, with the coronavirus going around. Do you think we should be buying right now? Depends on your personal circumstances. So uh, a lot of my clients, uh, you know, even last week, we bought six properties for clients. Uh, the weekend, well, week before that, we bought eight. People are active at the moment. The people that are in jobs that are at risk uh, are obviously going to sit on their hands for a while, but it's it's all to do with your personal circumstances. You can buy a very good deal at the moment. Like you've just got to be confident your tenant is in the right industry. Something we've been negotiating for our clients of late is to get the current owner to guarantee the lease. So you might have, a, uh, let's say, a two-year lease in place, but we'll get the current owner to guarantee that lease as well. So it's like a double-backed lease. So that gives the... I guess the owner a lot more confidence that if a tenant does ask for a reduced rent for three months, the owner's going to come in through a like a bank guarantee scenario to cover those costs. So my opinion is the only risk over the next six months is a lack of income. I don't really feel like asset values are going to drop in uh, you know the existing markets. Like there's some off the plan markets or you know vacant properties might, which will probably drop in value, but good quality tenanted commercial investments with a good quality tenant in it with cheaper money flowing through. I just can't see how they're going to drop long term unless there's a, a genuine issue with that particular property because cheap money will prop these prices up and push them up even higher once this is done. Yeah, I agree. If they can't find a vaccine and this does go for an extended period of time, do you think it will be worse than the GFC? Look, that's a very hard question to Impossible question to answer, isn't it? But, um, I'd love to know the answer. Uh, but look, I I guess I feel, you know, three weeks ago, it was little as three weeks ago, there was more demand than we've ever seen with commercial. There's, And that, that goes from the residential Sydney markets to, you know, what we do, you know, buying tenanted commercial properties for clients. We were so busy, we actually stopped taking on clients for all of February because there was, there was a build-up of clients and not enough quality properties. So... 
uh, I feel like that, you know, the demand is there. There's obviously a lot less now because of, you know, the uncertainty around all this. But it's, you know, the governments are going to put as much money as they need to. They've told us that they're going to basically support, you know, businesses and they're going to offer more and more stimulus packages to keep things going. The longer this goes for, the more debt the government's going to rack up. Uh, which which could cause inflation once this is all settled when all that money is in the market. Uh, look, I, I just, you know, Trump the other day said he's, he's going to be opening America up for business again in, in a few weeks' time, which is obviously very optimistic. But I, I just, I can't imagine they could lock the world down for more than six months. That would turn many countries into third world countries. And yeah, I'd love to know the answer, but I feel like, there's a lot of good stories coming out of Asia at the moment. Like some of my most active clients are expats in Asia. You know, they're um, located in Hong Kong, Singapore, Japan. And these particular areas have got on top of COVID-19. They're a little bit ahead of us by a month, but they remain quite positive versus our current mindset, which is quite negative. So it's positive to see that they're um, feeling okay about the Australian market. And maybe the drop dollar has something to do with that as well. But I feel like it's not going to be like the GFC because there isn't a structural issue with the economy. It's a it's a health issue that's caused a economic issue. It's like everything is on pause. Like the economy's just been put on ice for X amount of time. Once we're allowed to, once we're feeling safe again, I think it'll ramp up quite nicely as well. Yes, that'll be really good. If you were sitting on a deposit of about 100K and you wanted to get started, you could see opportunities here. Where would you start? Well, me personally, with that type of money, I'd probably be looking at, you know, a, a warehouse type arrangement or um, some kind of medical business. Uh, and you just got to, you know, like we've bought uh, in the last few weeks uh, some uh, like a psychologist business. We've bought a couple of like small warehouses which have uh, plumbing type businesses in them. And those businesses are running very well currently right now as we speak because they're not locked down they're building they've got a lot of like local jobs you know another one was a tiling business you know they're you know surrounded by uh, you know an area where they're building thousands of houses so these types of kind of more uh, microeconomic you know areas are actually going quite strong in light of the covid issue uh, and I, I just feel like if, if you were investing with that type of money, you can actually negotiate a better deal than you could a month ago. So you might get an extra, you know, 5% off the price. But more importantly, you can actually negotiate better terms. And and that's where I mentioned we've been able to negotiate owners to back actual tenancy agreements. So imagine you're buying a property and it's got a 30000 a year rent on it to a three-year lease to a local plumber who's been in business for 15 years. That's pretty safe as it is. But then on top of that, the current owner who owns the property will guarantee 12 months of rent, you know, and that, that'll get you out of this hopefully little bump we're in at the moment. And there will be unemployment and all those things come out of this, but, you know, you just got to pick the right asset. And I feel like there is a greater opportunity here for people to use the, you know, the cheap money around, the less competition. And once this passes, you should get quite quick capital growth, I would think. Yeah, I think you will too. So in a couple of months, if this isn't cleared up, what opportunities do you see then? Uh, well, I feel like a lot of the listings have dropped off. So I, I think the market's going to go into a bit of a hibernation. So 
you might find a lot more listings start coming up once agents are back at work, being able to show properties around. So you might just find there's a lot more selection all of a sudden. And um, some businesses or, or owners may have uh, suffered a little bit financially over the last few months. So they're more inclined to sell their good quality asset that they didn't want to sell you know, in February this year because the biggest challenge my business faced before all of this was we could not find enough properties. Owners didn't want to sell because interest rates were cheap. We're, we're only looking at tenanted stock as well, so and quality tenanted stock. And that means that you can't just go and, you know, find thousands of these properties. There's not enough. So maybe this will just give enough reason for owners to sell their good quality assets more. So I'm hoping selection will grow. The yields will be very good still. I, I think just off the back of cheaper interest rates too will make your cash flow better after repayments. Also going to be a good thing to see the businesses that survive this current economic crisis because if they're still there at the end of this, it's going to give you more confidence they'll survive moving forward. So more confidence, more selection and possibly a slightly better price, I'd say. You're targeting warehouses. I know that you like those assets, so do I. What locations are you recommending for your clients right now? We buy all over the country, to be honest, but Southeast Queensland's a, a good default market because you've got huge amounts of construction going on. There's a healthy residential market brewing up there as well, so you've got good interstate migration levels. You've got big infrastructure projects like the airport upgrade, the port upgrade down there. They've got you know, they've got a whole host of road jobs and rail jobs up there that are quite exciting. So. It's all about just buying a property where the square metre rates make sense. You want to hopefully pick a property up that's under-rented. You know, there might be a bit of a value-add opportunity through that. You just really need a good quality tenant that is in place. And you can quite often buy warehouses, uh, you know, between Gold Coast and, and Noosa for below replacement costs as well. So mm-hmm. when you can buy those, you, you feel confident that supply is not going to hurt you if, if new ones get built. Many of the areas we buy are completely built out anyway, so there's no room for more supply. We're sort of up to about 70% off market these days as well. So we don't really sit on realcommercial.com anymore. It's it's really just networks of agents send us stock prior. And that's uh, some of the most exciting opportunities are done off market. And it will, it's just really about where, where the properties sent to us are and we'll then consider it and work backwards from there. What's the minimum cap rate that you usually can achieve for your clients in, in the southeast Queensland kind of area? Uh, we set the goal of 7%, but in recent times, because the market was so hot towards like early 2020, we started dropping down to about 6.5. Okay. And it was um, it's just in light of the interest rates. Like we're seeing clients get interest rates of 3% for a commercial loan. So when you're buying into a capital city at 6.5 and you might have a five-year lease on it, that's great value. Like you could go into a regional area and get a 7.5% yield, sure, but you might have a longer vacancy, a worse quality tenant. The relatability may not be as strong. There's all these things you've got to weigh up and sometimes just focusing purely on a magic minimum yield might be a mistake. It's all about okay. the overall picture, I think. Yeah, and I'm sure that the properties that you're acquiring have like little upsides where you'd probably be able to bring it up over the seven over time, maybe. Exactly. Like sometimes one rental increase is all it takes, and all of a sudden you're uh, you got that yield, and you know you're you're in a good blue chip area. Yeah. 
So what should the listeners be avoiding? Look, I think retail is a little bit risky for now. Not not all retail is bad. You know, I think a lot of these shops that are currently closed are going to just reopen as soon as they can and people are pretty keen to get back out there and, uh, and live their life. So the more we're locked up in our houses, the I think more frustrated people will get and more bored and, you know, I think, you know, gyms will open up really quickly. Members will be signing up again. Like life will will go as soon as it can. I just think avoid going too regional. It's it's an issue with the bank, so it's going to be an issue for you down the track. You never want to just go out to the, you know, a sub 10,000 person town unless the yield is exceptional um, or it's a good multi-tenant type asset there. You know, there's always some exceptions to that. But if... um. I think the best value for now in general as a general comment are in the capital cities, but outside of Melbourne and Sydney. Melbourne and Sydney, the yields are way too low at the moment for my liking and the rental rates are quite high for the tenants. This uh, environment might actually find that the, the rental rates are lowered in particularly Sydney so that you might find yields get worse temporarily in Sydney. And the more affordable markets like you know Adelaide and uh, Brisbane and you know, some major regional centres will look more attractive to tenants and, and hence the investor will, will get a more consistent income. With the virus, if it does last for about, say, 12 months before we get the vaccines and we all start coming good then, do you see there being a long-term effect on residential as well? In my opinion, I just don't think they can let it last 12 months and they won't. You know, I believe they're going to have more and more pressure to keep the economy going versus the health effects. It's one of those very ugly type of conversations. But if they lock up any developed country for 12 months straight, there's going to be no economy to come back to. There's going to be a point where they're going to have to somehow isolate the at-risk or have some kind of sign-in, sign-off moment every time you go out of your house or into a shop. I don't know what it is. I'm not a doctor. I'm, you know, I'm just an investor on the side speculating. But I just know for 12 months in a democracy to lock people in their house, I can't see it happening unless there's major riots at every street corner and the, the issues are so much worse than just worrying about the commercial market for us. It's it's sort of one of those uh, really how long a piece of string questions is. But I don't know. I, again, I look towards Asia and see how they've handled it. You know, they've just bitten a bullet and locked out and then, you know, they monitor you through like drones and things like that to check temperatures and like it's yeah, it's a hard one, and again, I'm in no place to make statements about how it's all going to work. But I just feel like there's going to be pressure on other solutions rather than just lock us up for that period of time. Yeah, hopefully it's just a short kind of term thing. It's it all bounces back pretty quickly. Yeah, and I've got a like I've got some doctor clients, and you know, one of them works quite high up, involved in all of this, and most of them are saying the peak is going to be around end of May to early June. So once, you know, that intensive care, intensive beds, max has been hit and starts downgrading, like I think that's where you're going to see different policies and, you know, adjustments made. And, you know, it's just an interesting time to to be alive, really. Yeah, it is, isn't it? People are kind of crying it's going to be the next GFC and it's going to be way worse. It's just one of those things you can't just listen to everyone that's crying wolf, can you? No, look, because let's say unemployment goes up to 15%. You've still got 85% working, you know, relatively unaffected. You know, there's more stimulus 
announced already than there ever has been. And there's going to be a lot more to come. There has to be. You know, the, the longer this goes, the more stimulus happens. And that means there's a fair bit of money flowing around the markets and it's coming off a almost a peak demand period too. So, you know, the, it's it's just a matter of confidence returning a bit and the confidence might be slowly returning. Um, I heard, um, you know, there was a report uh, out of China that um, their March results for business is at 70% as it was last year. So that's, um, you know, that's coming, that's quite a good recovery already, you know, from from China's point of view, if you can believe the numbers. But you just got to sort of t- take the uh, positives with the negatives and, you know, realise that Australia looks like it's doing okay so far from a health point of view. Like we're, we're not, you know, overlaid the beds yet. We're, um, again, I'm not a doctor. I'm, I'm just sort of going off things I've read and seen. But I, I, I just can't imagine it's the uh, next Great Depression for Australia. There's, you know, there's, there's too much at stake for that. Yeah, hopefully not. So just to wrap up, if you were going to invest now or you had the money, you, your recommendation is you should keep going and trying to find that property? Yeah, you'd look for the right deal because if you're going to wait six months to invest when things are a bit rosier, you're going to be up against a lot more buyers. Uh, just use the time to, I guess, look for the best deal because I believe you will get a better deal than you would you know, in six months' time. you just got to have confidence that the tenant is not really directly impacted by what's going on in closures. So you've got to pick the right type of property and maybe introduce an extra safety net by getting a rental guarantee offered by the landlord, held in a separate trust account along those lines. And if you can do that, I think you'll buy very well. And obviously your job's got to be safe at the same time. So yeah, there's, you know, if you had your time again, you'd try buy three Sydney properties right in the middle of the and you'd look back five years later and you'd be laughing. So I feel like it's just one of those times you just got to buy if you can and if uh, if it's too risky for you, hold off. But uh, a lot of people are opportunists and, and can buy quite easily right now. So it's uh, it's all about making money. I feel the markets are primed quite well to do that. Yeah, definitely. All right, mate. Well, thanks for the chat. It's been really good. Where can the listeners go to find out more about your services? Best is just go to our website, rethinkinvesting.com.au, and we offer brief 30-minute uh, chats just to go through your personal circumstances, and um, yeah, we can give you a bit more of an idea of the types of properties we're buying and see if it fits your stakes. Yeah, great. All right, well, Scott O'Neill from Rethink Investing has been my guest today. Thanks, Scott. Thank you, Andrew. Chris Lang, the seven-time best-selling author and founder of the Property Edge Australia, is back again today. How are you, Chris? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm really, really good. Chris, it's no secret that investors are fearful of the retail sector at the moment. Now, Warren Buffett has a famous saying about the stock market and investing in general, and it's, be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. Is this just a downturn in the cycle for retail? Or will it be down for good? Well, look, it, it's hard to say. Look, in the, the last session we had, we were talking about the coronavirus, and I think I mentioned the retailers are, are, are the ones who are going to really suffer. And you've got to realise that most retailers have been in sale mode since the global financial crisis, and there's 
been a far more significant change going on behind the scenes. And the past 20-odd years, you've seen an influx of overseas fast fashion retailers like Uniqlo, Zara and H&M. And this additional supply of fashion goods has really put a, a lot of pressure on local retailers. And you're effectively seeing a, a structural decline in the retail sector, not only here, but in most developed countries around the world. And the surge of online activity certainly hasn't helped. And there was a recent report done by CBRE, which explained the changes that are being forced on traditional retailers by the growing level of online and customer direct activity. And as such, they were projecting that there's a need for much improved in-store experience over the next decade if the bricks and mortar retailers are to remain competitive. And the sort of thing they're talking about, you know, static shop window displays are going to need to be replaced by ever-changing virtual showrooms to attract and keep their customers interested. So you're going to probably see chain operators systematically closing their secondary locations and maintaining a smaller number of stores in in high traffic areas. Okay. So I suppose you're going to say, you know, why is this happening? Well, over the past few years, you, you will have observed, if you're one of my clients that a caution I've had towards retail property is a a worthwhile investment. And that's basically been the the case since the global financial crisis when consumers began tightening their belts. Anyway, having spent some time in Europe, I can report that things are no better over there. And that's, that's before the coronavirus outbreak. But Everywhere you go in Australia, you see the 30 to 50% price reductions in the shop windows. And unfortunately, most retailers continue to struggle, apart from probably the food and restaurants. And as I mentioned in that last session, even they're going to be under, under pressure now with the lockdown that's occurring around Australia. And so, to me, it makes no sense when you see local investors prepared to bid up prices at auction to where some retail properties have passing yields as low as 2 and 3% per annum. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. That's right. So if you're prepared to accept yields as low as that, what it's effectively saying is that you expect there's going to be a large rental increase looming. And, you know, as I said, they've been in sale mode since the GFC. So it's just not going to happen. And you're starting to see vacancy rates increase in most traditional retail strip centres. And as you know, I'm based in Melbourne and there's a a group here, Fitzroy's, that produced a snapshot of some of the well-known strip centres, showing them to have double-digit vacancy levels. Now, the ideal norm is a vacancy rate of somewhere between 5 and 7%, so that you know, people can legitimately move around. But you're seeing places like Bridge Road, Richmond, you know, 17%, Chapel Street, Sierra, 15%, Ligon Street, Carlton, 13%, Chapel Street, Windsor, 11%. You know, I mean, these are main shopping centres and traditional, you know, thoroughfares and, you know, they've got huge vacancy rates and you're going to see that pattern repeating itself within most capital cities and, As a result, 
boutiques are fast being replaced by cafes, juice bars, restaurants, along with doctors, dentists and other service retail because the boutique fashion house shoe shop just can't compete. So, you know, I expect retailing to remain fragile for some time to come and it'll be interesting to observe the full impact of the surge in online activity, which so far seems to be unaffected by the coronavirus outbreak. Yeah, exactly. If you're comfortable with buying a destination service retail property, do you think now is a good time to strike? Well, I would hesitate buying retail property. I mean, as I said, the yields seem to be so low. I suppose when you think about it, most people live in a house and their first thing is to go out if they've got to spend money and buy another house or an apartment because they're comfortable with that. For a lot of people, when they venture into commercial property, they don't understand offices, even though they might work in one. They don't understand industrial, but, you know, they spend a lot of time shopping. So the mum and dad investors tend to gravitate towards shops as their first choice. But really, you think net returns for residential are around three and a half, four percent Retail's even lower than that. It just doesn't doesn't make a lot of sense. Not certainly not in the foreseeable future. Okay, so do you think the cap rate will start going up for retail? Well, as I said, if you drive along some of the streets of these strip centres, whether it's in Melbourne or, or elsewhere, you will see 10, 15% of the shops with fillet signs in them. Mm. Now, the strange thing is that landlords would rather let them sit vacant than reduce the rents because they quite often own two or three shops in the strip centre. So their attitude is, well, if I reduce it on one, I've then got to reduce it on all the others. Yeah. Now, it's pretty strange logic because, I mean, I'd rather have 100% let at 80% of the rent than, you know, a third of my three shops vacant. just doesn't make sense. But, uh, you know, that's what they do. It's not good, is it? No, it's not. I don't see it improving. Yeah, okay. So say you are a retailer and you do have a, a shop that's vacant. What do you suggest the best way to get that tenanted up uh, as quickly as possible? What concessions do you think should be given? I don't really know the answer to that because the problem you've got is that if you are a retail landlord and you've got a vacancy, chances are you're not the only one. Yep. So you've almost got to have a a concerted effort by that municipality that those shops sit in to have a, a joint promotion where you get all the landlords, both the ones tenanted and untenanted, to maybe contribute a modest amount of money, say through their on top of their rates, just a special levy, where the council promotes that particular area as a a destination for retailers to congregate. And at the same time, all the landlords agree that they will provide some concession, whether it is by way of rent-free or a contribution towards the tenancy fit-out. You know, and people say, well, if if I contribute to the fit-out, that's lost money. Well, it's not really because you can then depreciate that. And it's yep. pretty pretty attractive rate. So in some respects, contributing their fit out 
is a smarter move than which for a, you know a retailer, particularly in most of the shopping centres, the, the the major tenants are already established. So you're really looking for someone that's coming in fresh. So their problem, they've got to buy all their stock. So if they've got to outlay another fifty to eighty thousand dollars, depending on the size of the shop, by way of a fit out, well, you know that's that's a big lump sum up front for them that they probably don't have. Whereas if you could help them with that, that might be attractive rather than give a couple of months rent free. I mean, rent's paid monthly, whereas the fit out is one lump sum. Yeah. Okay. Well, Chris, I know this might be asking a lot, but would you be willing to offer your keynote address for the nine-step formula for just $1 again this week? Look, I'm more than happy. It provides an opportunity for people to get a foot in the commercial market. I'm more than happy to let let it run on, yeah. Okay, great. That's really, really good. Okay, so all you need to do is click on the link in the show notes and then insert 66 off into the coupon code, and then you're good to go from there. My guest today has been Chris Lang. Thanks, Chris. It was my pleasure. At Developer Life, we are always searching for property with development potential. If it's time to sell and you own a commercial or residential property anywhere in Australia that you think has development potential, we want to know about it. We might be able to pay above market prices. You can contact us through our website at www.developalife.com.au or call us on 0410-694-633. Now back to the show. The next segment was recorded prior to the mandatory code of conduct for commercial leasing being released. If you would like to find out more about the code, there is a link and a summary from James Dawson on the Commercial Property Show Facebook page. James Dawson, creator of the Cashflow Blueprint course, returns to the show again today. How are you, James? Great. Thanks, Andrew. Hope you're well as well. I'm good, mate. Mate, we're living through some troubling times at the moment, aren't we, James? Absolutely incredible things have happened over the last month, I guess, and particularly the last week, I would guess, was probably the most unusual week I've ever, ever had in my whole 44-odd years of of being a property investor with what's going on. So, yeah, absolutely unusual times and, and of course, not only for us in Australia but all over the world. So, yeah, pretty pretty remarkable what's going on. Yes, right. Now, I've asked James here today to discuss the actions that you should be taking as a commercial property landlord right now. And this is before the tenant actually comes and requests uh, say a rent relief payment from you or something like that. So James, what should the landlords be doing right now? Yeah, so look, I think that's a, it's a great question and it's one that I've you know had uh, asked of me uh, quite a lot in the last week. And I think, uh, and certainly you know what I've been doing myself with my own properties. I think the first thing is is to take a breath, uh, you know, and just realise right. that. You know, everyone is in the same boat and and affected. So, you know, everyone from the small business owners to multi-multi-millionaire landlords are all in what what could be classed as a very different, difficult situation. So the action points that I've been personally taking is, first of all, before I've contacted any tenants or had them contact me, was redoing a, a cash flow and just seeing exactly where I am with my cash 
cash buffer, any available lines of credit, etc. So that way, if you've got several tenants like I have, you can then start saying, well, okay, tenant A only pays 50% rent, how's that going to affect me, etc. So that's the first thing that I did. The second thing that I did prior to even getting any chats with tenants, etc., was contact my two banks that I bank with. And they've, of course, been in you know complete i wouldn't say shambles but you know they're they're just doing things on the run to come up with you know some solutions and i've got to say the nab and westpac who i deal with have been really great they've basically said straight away yes we will pause your repayments i know we're going to talk about this more later but pause your repayments for six months i even suggested three months to one bank and they said no let's let's pause it for six months see how we go so i think that's the first thing is to take uh, a bit of stock of where you are and then the last thing would be to then contact your managing agents of course if they haven't already contacted you and say you know who's been in touch with you you may already know that some of your tenants have shut the doors like I've got two gymnasium tenants so they've both had to shut the doors under instruction by the government so I know that you know they're going to be wanting some help so yeah taking stock and then I guess we're going to the next step when they ask for relief. Yeah that's right going forward what do you think the potential benefits are for landlords in offering it first before the actual tenant comes to you and asks? Okay so I think this is another fantastic question and look I've been in a situation where I've got mostly really good tenants and when I say really good tenants tenants that are approachable and easy to discuss you know these strange things with so my gymnasium tenants basically contacted me and said look we really would like a three month rent pause because we've locked the doors we're still incurring some costs with some staff to, to sort of wrap things up and we just can't afford to pay anything. Now, I personally decided that I would just simply agree to that for three months, but you know, putting in writing, getting the property manager to put in writing that that will come up for review in three months or at a time when the government announces some subsidy or reopening for that particular business. So, you know, let's say the government puts its hand up and says, okay, we're going to start paying rent for gymnasiums, for example. Well, obviously, you know, my position would change. So I just wanted to reserve the right to review that. Now, I think some tenants that I know, and I have friends that are tenants, you know, not in my own properties, but some of those people have actually been too scared to contact their landlords. And just this morning, I was talking to Kylie, a good friend of mine. She actually has a gymnasium and needs to have an adjustment And she hadn't spoken to the landlord, so I urged her to email the landlord and ask for some help. So now she's actually feeling a lot better because she's actually taken some steps. So I think I just feel it's a goodwill situation as well when you're up front. And I don't mean talking to your tenants directly. If you've got property manager, of course, go through them and just get them to get in touch with the tenants and say, look, what's happening? A, are you trading? Obviously, they know that some tenants have been locked out, like gymnasiums, for example. But a lot of restaurants and cafes are still partly trading, either by doing takeaway coffees or or home delivery food. So it's sort of to get into the basic points of whether people are still in the property. Now, one tenant that I have, no names mentioned, are still trading. And this is funny how this has come up. I've several people who've put this on blogs in the last few days, a tenant that is still trading and they're asking for rent relief. 
you know, one of them that I know about is a supermarket, which are probably doing better than ever, asking for rent relief. And my tenant, which I can't obviously let you know who that is, but one of my tenants that's asking for rent relief, but they're still trading well. So it's, you know, that's a bit tricky and a bit unfair, of course. So you've got to deal with those people in a different manner. And one of the ways I've dealt with my tenant is ask them, well, okay, if you say in your business has dropped, show me your figures. Well, then there's, you know, blissful silence after I ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, interesting. Yeah, that's but, right. Yeah, so it's just amazing how it brings out the best and worst in people, I guess, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and I guess if you're going to the tenant first, it gives you that goodwill because at the end of the day in commercial property, the tenant is your partner and the success of their business is your success as well. Well, that's right. And look, let's just touch on the fact that, you know, as you know, that I'm always saying to people, look, if you buy a commercial property, you know, try and get it at 7% or 8% net, whatever that may be, or some people have bought at 10%. So obviously, once again, if your loan's at 3 or 4%, you've got positive cash flow. And if you've owned a property for a year, you may have, may have built up a certain uh, amount of cash flow buffer. So yep. this un- very unusual thing has happened. So I'm in the situation thinking, well, one of my properties was has been very cash flow positive for quite a number of years. Now there's a bit of a, uh, a hiccup. So why not be proactive? I want that guy in there at the end of this three, six months or whatever it's going to be. So, you know, I really want my, I've got a cafe tenant. We've reduced his rent down to $300 a week from, I think it was, you know, maybe it was probably over a thousand a week at his suggestion. He said, I think I'll be able to manage that and do okay. And we agreed to that because we just thought, look, we really want that guy there at the end of the day, at the end of this, this issue being resolved. So I think there's got to be fairness and some moral decisions, I guess, to be made because you're right, you know, tenants, uh, whilst they're not your direct business partners, you, you want them to do well. And, and, you know, if they look after me in making their rent payments, I look after them. And as investors, any investor in anything, whether it be shares or property, we get paid to take the risk. Yeah. You know, so that's the prime, you know, that's a bit of a Warren Buffett thing, you know, I guess yeah. you get, you get paid to take the risk. So, okay, here's a situation that no one could have foreseen. And, you know, so let's all pull together and get through it. Yeah. And on average, James, how much do you think it would cost to get the property released? Well, that's, that's, tenant? yeah, that's a good point because, you know, of course, you've got the, your standard costs of perhaps 10% of the first year's rent to the agent. So if it's a 50 grand a year rent, it's five grand there, then you probably need to spend another five, six or $7,000 on marketing. And then you'd want to maintain the property during the marketing period, which could be, you know, three, four months. And also you, you may have to do some work to the property if it needs some, uh, some tarting up. So you could be up for the best part of $20,000 or something like that to get that property released. So if I'm giving them a discount of that amount to stay open, well, you know, it's a sort of net result, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. And, and it's a much better result to have your same tenant in there that's been you know having a great little business before and there should be no reason why their business will be would be um good afterwards yeah hopefully it just turns back on like a tap hopefully you know i mean i I guess we're in uncharted waters but i guess basically well located properties in whatever city region regional town or wherever they are 
if they're, you know, if they're reasonably well located with businesses that were doing okay before on a reasonable, sustainable rent, as I always have said, you know, don't overcharge rent. We've all got to remember that these people make their living from these businesses. So, yeah. you know, what else are they going to do? They want to go back in. Generally speaking, I would think 99% of people would want to go back in and be where they were before. Yeah, that's right. All right, James. So, can you give us an overview of what the banks are offering to commercial landlords? Yeah. So initially, it's, and I must admit, actually, a couple of my banks, I'm not sure how other people are going, but they haven't followed up with emails. It's mostly been phone calls. Me, the first thing I would suggest to do is email your bank. If you've got a personal banking manager, a relationship manager, email them, put your loan account details on there. Tell them that you've been affected by COVID-19. That seems to be a big issue. You can't obviously just write to them and say, I just want a loan pause for no reason. And so their initial uh, relief basically on both banks that I'm banking with is we'll pause your repayments for the six months. Now, I've got a couple of loans that are P&I, but mostly on interest only, and they're going to capitalise the interest into the balance of the loan. So now, and I, so I guess what that means is, you know, in simple terms, if, if they've given you say relief of say $20,000 interest over six months, they're going to add that $20,000 onto your loan. And then you'll be paying interest on whatever the loan balance was plus 20,000. So look, it's, I guess it's no free lunch, but in a way, it certainly is more comforting than thinking, well, I've just got to continue making the payments right through this period. And, you know, I guess even the ones that have had their rent reduced, my bank has still said we're happy to just pause the payments and you just build up that cash buffer while you're waiting for this to sort out if they are paying something. The banks never do anything for free, do they? There's always that no. at the end, you know, they always get you. Well, that's right. And look, I guess we're all worried about it. And I know uh, we did chat about it was, you know, how will it affect your loan? Now, I know I had my assistant call up a bank and they said, look, this, any of this stuff will not affect anyone's credit rating. Okay. Um, that's what they've said. So I know everyone's been worried about that. So I think, you know, they're, they're having to make up rules and new, you know, systems on the fly. But it's been comforting that sort of within a week, you know, there's been a lot of positive stuff come out, of course, by the government spending money. Let's face it, the banks had a pretty bad reputation last year, maybe, and it would be pretty terrible if they didn't come to the party and help everyone out right now when everyone really needs it. Yeah, um, that's right. So I think that's been comforting for all of us. And, and you know, I know some people that have got huge portfolios and everyone's saying the same thing. Well, thank God the government's doing what they're doing and, and the banks are helping. Yeah, that's right. Now, if you are a landlord and you are offering rent relief, and you touched on this before, you can't just offer rent relief for your whole portfolio, can you? You have to kind of have some partial and some maybe, you know. Maybe yes. Done. I think, look, but, my strategy is going to be, and, and, who, and who knows whether it's the correct strategy, but my strategy is going to be with the ones that I've paused completely for three months. And as I mentioned before, it's just, you know, giving the, they've already got something in writing saying, look, this is to be reviewed. Now, let's say they need a pause for another three or six months. What I intend to do then is negotiate with them and say, look, if I'm pausing your rent, let's say it's 20 grand for three months or whatever it is, what I would like to do, and I think is fair, is add that $20,000 on to the the balance of the term of their lease and 
also then extend their lease by three to six months. So let's say they had five years left in their lease after after this um, drama finishes, that you know it could then spread the extra twenty thousand that I've given them a, a pause for over the balance of that period. Now, whether or not people will accept that, I'm not sure. I think it's fairly fair because they're in a position where, okay, we're keeping the property for them. I mean, you know, if it does roll on a bit longer than you know, the six months, well, I guess we'll have to review it all. But once again, my gym tenant, for example, in Bondi has a really good business right prior to being told to shut the doors. So, you know, she's very keen to get back in there and open that business. So, you know, essentially, we just want to pause this. I mean, everyone's using the word pause. It's exactly what it all is, you know. Yeah. So so I'm just hoping that that's, that's something. I mean, I guess uh, it, it's just going to be a negotiation. I know a number of landlords I've been speaking to are, are all trying to do the same thing. Some people that I've spoken to are trying to do it right now, but it hasn't been well received by their tenants. Okay. Um, because I think some of the tenants are in a little bit of shock. They've got no income potentially, and now they're thinking, oh, gee, the landlord just wants to give me a loan, you know. So perhaps that doesn't seem it, – it's probably not the fairest thing to do. I think probably if you've got a great tenant, it's probably great to give them a bit of a break and then renegotiate. Have you been able to negotiate maybe a tenant picking up an option for rent relief? Uh, look, I haven't as yet. And then once again, I think that's why everyone I've spoken to is sort of a little bit like me where they said, look, let's just try and look at the, the three-month period and then chat about things again. I think, I think Andrew, because there's been so much going on and so much, you know, I wouldn't say misinformation, but, you know, for example, the hair salons, I've got a hair salon and, you know, one minute they were going to shut because they were only able to do haircuts for 30 minutes and next minute they were open again, but we sort of feel like they may be shut down. Yeah. Uh, like the gyms, because it's just too much proximity to people. So in that situation, it's pretty hard to start negotiating when there's different versions of what may happen. But I'm sure in the next week that may come clear. And actually also this Friday, for example, coming up, there's another announcement apparently about child cares where the government hopefully will announce that they're going to support or pay the rent for child cares so to keep them open. So, you know, I think it's just probably a little bit early to, if we had all, the, you know, the knowledge in place of what the rules were, I guess we'd, it'd be much easier to negotiate about various, you know, things of extending their leases and, and rent-free periods as a sort of a loan and all that. But I think it's just a little bit too early to do that. Are there any other clever add value kind of strategies you could do right now while you have time? I know the councils are closed right now, so you can't really possibly put in a strata subdivision or anything like that. But could you potentially start getting things ready now or doing anything like that to add value as soon as the tap gets turned back on? Yeah, absolutely. And actually, just a good point that you reminded me that actually the councils now are deferring their rates. Um, oh, okay. And I think just this morning, just another thing they're deferring, well, is, could be deferred is your land tax. So just, you know, this is a constantly moving ballpark we're in i guess but look i think my town plan is everyone's working from home so good point i think yeah if there's things to think about and we're certainly we're about to engage a couple of upsides on on a property and we just have to put them on pause as well but it's uh there's nothing stopping us from talking to our town planner he's working from home and you know just getting ready for that i think some councils do have some 
skeleton they must have you know planning staff particularly yeah. probably probably working from home so because i haven't actually personally been in touch with any councils about that but i think this is a, a great time to take stock but i guess one of the the best things to be doing now particularly if your property is say you know if you've got a single tenant let's say it's a gymnasium single tenant property just for example and it's been closed you know you really want to make sure that that property is getting maintained so there's nothing to stop perhaps you know a cleaner going into that property to give that place a clean every week or keep the windows clean and looking nice and all that and just checking on nothing's leaking or something like that so i mean that's probably something to of course ask the tenant to do but as a landlord i think you know it'd be great to prompt them to do that because they're probably sitting at home thinking well i've got to be isolated at home now but i think you can get clean as if they're actually going to work someone can go into a property and clean it i mean obviously there's no one there so keeping the value of your property up by way of maintaining it i think is important yeah it might be a good time if you can find a, a tradie that's actually working to go into one of your properties and maybe do a, a light renovation or some kind of spruce up right now just uh, for a also, another goodwill for your tenants saying, look, I really care about the property. I care about you. I want you to get back there. Yeah, that's right. In fact, I know uh, one of the guys who owns a couple of pubs in Byron here that are closed. Uh, one of my friends is actually on his maintenance team and they're in there doing exactly that. They're in there sort of renovating, painting, doing all the jobs that they couldn't do when they're flat out, you know. Yeah. So, but I think that's right. You know, obviously the pub's a different scenario than most tenancies, but that's right. If there's things, I was just talking to a concreter this morning. He said, oh, we've been, because they're doing a slab for me here at the moment. And they, they said, yeah, we're actually um, essential. We are apparently essential so we can keep working. So, you know, stuff that might be repairs to car parks or things like that that, you know, you could yeah. be doing that you, you'd never get a chance to do because it's always too busy. So I think that's, um, you know, these things are really sort of positive actions. I think we're all, I mean, I've worked from home from years, so it's sort of not, not too different for me. But, you know, a lot of people I know, are, you know, working from home and they're thinking, oh, God, what am I going to do? You know, what am I doing with my time? Well, start looking at some jobs that, apart from just cleaning out the garage, you know, start looking at some jobs on your properties that, you know, you could perhaps organise, you know, obviously within the law and the current restrictions and all that. And, you know, I think actually, you know, you can travel around for business and stuff like that. And I mean, if you're visiting your own property and there's no one there, I, I, I wouldn't imagine there'd be a problem in, in doing that. Now, have you had any pushback from managing agents about approaching your tenant and offering rent relief? I guess if the rent's not getting paid, they're not getting paid. That's right. And look, I think that one of my managing agents who's got a lot of commercial property um, in Queensland, it is the basis of their business. The The rent roll is the basis of their business. And, and they're, as, they're as shocked as anyone else. I must admit, the guys that I've got, they've been working pretty hard and, and trying to just keep abreast of every announcement. But yeah, they're essentially having the same thing of some tenants uh, putting their hand up for relief that, you know, are still trading perfectly. And, uh, and other tenants that don't seem to communicate with them. So they're, they're trying to actually touch base with all the tenants in their uh, portfolio now. And, and of course, the good property managers are keeping in touch with the landlords because uh, I guess they obviously want to keep the landlord for when things start up again, because that's where they earn their money. All right, James, well, this chat's been great. I think it'll really help the listeners out. If they want to contact you, where can they find you? The best thing to do is to go to jamesdawsonproperty.com.au and there's all sorts of links there and they can have a look at uh, lots of information. My blog posts 
there, that's the best way to get in touch. All right, great. Well, James Dawson has been my guest today. Thanks, James. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Marcus War is our everyday investor on fire today. How are you, Marcus? I'm very well, thanks, Andrew. Fantastic, mate. In this segment, I throw rapid-fire questions at everyday investors who are living proof that commercial property is for every Australian and not just the super rich. Are you ready to go? Yeah, I am. Fantastic. Ready and willing. (laughs) Excellent. Why did you choose commercial property? I guess the, the choice of any type of investing is simply a numbers game. So, you know, whatever the highest possible return that you can get and you can achieve without risking capital loss, at least the risk of the capital loss going too high, that's where you should be directed. I was previously doing more residential investments and our portfolio was a bit growth heavy. So, lending was becoming difficult and I became interested in commercial because of that. So initially, it was probably all about cash flow. But the more I learned about it, commercial sort of showed me that there were opportunities for capital growth as well. So now I'm sort of seeing it more of a balance between cash flow, growth and and risk management, really. It's a sector where you can actually have quite good risk management. Your tenants have got a vested interest in the business. Um, yeah, that's right. They've paid money to be there. Their their own you know profession is is reliant on that site. So it's not like one of the residential houses where you can get a bad tenant and they don't care because they'll go off somewhere else. So have you leveled out your negatively geared portfolio now into a positively geared portfolio? Yes, we have, and it wasn't badly negative either. But it was just as you accumulate more properties, the bank get tougher on you. So your position with regard to cash flow uh, has to progressively get better, really. So um, I just saw uh, yeah, the commercial stuff as, uh, as a quick way to grab, grab some extra cash flow that can keep us moving. Yeah, that's great. Are the banks looking upon you more favourably now for lending? Look, I haven't approached them again since last year. It's been an unusual environment, really, where mm. you know we, we had all those changes from APRA who were making really tough lending for anyone and then we were just coming out of that and and so lending did get easier and we we did purchase another property in that time of course now we're into another strange period with this um, yeah with the COVID-19 so um it'll be interesting to see how things come out of that yeah it will be so what current assets do you own well in addition to our PPR, we have two residential properties and two commercial properties. Fantastic. The first one we bought was actually in our self-managed super. Um, okay. Obviously, uh, it's not an easy job lending and to purchase property in, in your super, but it is doable. The commercial stuff is uh, the best way to do it because it's got the high rates of return you know like it's self-servicing which um, you usually need for something in a in a self-managed fund can you describe the type of assets that you own the commercial ones yeah sure so that first one we bought was it was a little block of three shops it's a little bit unusual it's uh it's in an industrial zone up in north queensland so it's a place called bowley which is just on the edge of townsville 
and it's it's a block of three shops with a residential house attached to the back in an industrial zone. So it's quite unique. One of the business owners there who owns the Bali Burger Barn, she has a master lease over the whole property. So oh. we, so we don't have to worry about collecting rents from anyone. Um, I just sort of uh, deal directly with her. And, yeah, she, she manages the whole place. Okay, so does she sublet it out to other tenants, does she? Yeah, that's right. So there's three shops. She has one, her business is in one of those, and she sublets yep. the other ones. Oh, wow. That's interesting. So I guess because there's a house at the back, there's probably a little bit of room for value add there, like uh, subdividing it. Yes and no. Um, as part of the master lease, she lives, the, that lady who, who owns the master lease lives in that property. But there is a little, like it, it's quite a large site. It's not just the shops, but there's quite a block of land on the side of it as well that you could do something with. So development-wise, it does have potential. However, it is in the super fund. So development in a super fund is, is very difficult to achieve. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And what's the net income from that one? So we bought it at a cap rate of 9.7%. The purchase price was 525000 Okay. It did come down a bit because uh, there was a little bit of a, uh, a trap we fell into that we missed during our due diligence, but the cap rate's still quite reasonable. But uh, yeah, I can go into that later if you like. <laughs> yeah, so what was the actual net income? The net income is sitting at 69000 a year. Oh, great. Excellent. So do you want to explain that trap you fell into? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you do all your due diligence. You get as much information as you can, uh, which, which we did. A lot of information comes through initial valuation, etc., and we got some more information on the outgoings from them, which were accurate at the time. So one of those, the big expenses is insurance. And the insurance was, I can't remember the exact number, but it was sitting at about four to 5,000 a year. And so that was all factored into our numbers and we could see that that's what they'd paid in the previous year, et cetera. Uh, we didn't dig deeply enough into that until after I owned it and I went to insure it myself. And it turns out they were massively underinsuring the property. So um, when I actually went to bring the insurance where it was supposed to, it virtually doubled. So our insurance is actually around $11,000 a year now. Oh, well, I'm sure you're still well positive. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. It, um, I mean, it came down to, I think it was 8.4% from 9.7, yeah. which is, you know, it's still quite a reasonable cap rate, but um, it would have been nice if I had spotted that earlier. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you could have negotiated that into the contract. Yeah, and we did negotiate some uh, some money off the contract. It had actually been on the market for a while, so they were starting to get a bit keen to sell and it was already looking really good value at the cap rate. But um, we found some maintenance that required doing, some roofing, et cetera. And so we managed to get another 10000 down based on that sort of maintenance that was outstanding. So it wasn't too bad. We've uh, since had all that work done. And so the place is in better condition. Yeah, great. Uh, and just to elaborate on that, another point, it's like any investment. You never really you know, know what's coming up. You just got to put your best foot forward and, and do your best you can. We just had a, um, a power board failure, which is really weird mm. uh, and not something that you'd ever consider, you know, generally going into any uh, investment deals. Do you wonder how secure the power board is? 
um, but for some reason it just failed and it actually exploded. So we've just got a $13,000 repair bill for that. <laughs> wow. So you're doing the, all the electronics in the building? Yeah, they have to replace the whole board. All yeah. the wiring. Yeah, the, um, I mean the initial the initial quote was nearly twenty thousand dollars, but we've managed to get it down to thirteen. I have been in contact with the insurance company, and it looks like it will be covered. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, wow. So you invested in that property because you actually were from that area, and that gave you the confidence knowing that that'd be actually a good investment. Well, there's a few things here. I guess. Knowing the property previously, it did give me a, a level of confidence to see that it was still there after all this time. Yeah. I'm a, a big advocate of buyer's agents, and um, this one was introduced to me from a buyer's agent I was using at the time. Oh, okay. And, uh, yeah, so um, because I wasn't already skilled in commercial property purchasing, I just thought it was uh, worth getting a professional on board. So they did all the, you know, the initial work up and due diligence and everything and I talked to them about that and that's why we ended up there I sort of told them basically what I was after that I wanted something that was had a bit of risk spread like multiple tenants uh, and I wanted something that was higher cash flow and uh, we looked at a number of things before we settled on this one and made a and yeah, decided to make an offer on it yeah fantastic so that head lease that was on the property can you just explain how long that was there for and then how long it was supposed to run yeah i don't actually recall what was left on the old one but as part of the purchase agreement the tenant was to sign a new new agreement that was for five years three plus three option so just knowing that the business had been there for a long time and then having that long-term lease to back it up it was a very comfortable place for us to put our self-managed super in with the three shops we touched on some value-add opportunities there. Is there an opportunity to strata title those in future? I haven't actually looked at strata titling, but certainly it would be um, it would be worth looking at. I guess I like the low-level maintenance with the master lease and, I, and the time of purchase. Knowing this was just for super, it was a bit like find the lowest workload property that I can get that meets all my other criteria. And this was very good for that, knowing that there was someone with a vested interest in managing the site and the return was still good for us. And you're so restricted in what you can do with a commercial property in our self-managed super. Oh, yeah. Uh, I guess you're probably strata titling is, is, is very achievable, however, but I haven't really looked into it because someone else really has that lease anyway. Yeah, fair enough. The other asset that you have, you describe that one? Yeah, so we only just purchased this one at the end of last year. It's actually a residential house in Milton Road in Tuong, Brisbane. It's about okay. five kilometres out of the city. The little restaurant's called Two Small Rooms, and it's been there for the business has been there for about 20 years. Even though it's a residential house, it sits in a what they call a, a commercial zone that's grandfathered to it. Yeah. So, yeah, that just means that the town plan's changed and you no longer can build commercial there. But because it's been there since that time, you're allowed to keep it as commercial. I think if we knocked it down and built something else, they probably wouldn't let us build a new commercial on the site. It'd have to go back to residential. So what's the net income for that one? So the net income is around 56000 a year. Great. What's the cap rate for this property? Cap rate's about 7.7%. And what kind of tenant is in that property? It's a single owner, and the, the guy purchased the business in the last couple of years off the previous owner. So what's the lease look like for that one? Once again, it's a long lease. 
Yep. It's a five-year lease with options, uh, three-year right. options. Yeah, great. And what are the upsides for that property? Any add value kind of things? So there's not it, nothing that jumps out, actually. There is some room in the backyard. So I was thinking, you know, possibly might be able to fit a few, uh, like, studio apartments in. Okay. Um, just down the line. The restaurant itself is not not huge. There's a little bit of space. It's not a big block either, but there's still room to do something on the back if I wanted to down the track. In terms of value add in our discussions, and uh, Scott O'Neill from Rethink Investing actually found this site for me. And in our discussions on value add to these, we decided that where it sat and based on the, the cap rate we purchased at, he felt that it's it had very strong potential for the compression of the cap rate. So in terms of gaining equity, um, we're hoping that will sort of uh, that will do most of the heavy lifting for us. You know, in the next few years, we'll, we'll we'll grab some extra free equity from the compression rates in that area. Have the tenant asked for rent relief yet? Uh, yes, one of them has. One of them hasn't. The one up in Townsville haven't. And uh, the one in Brisbane did. I've said I'm, I'm happy to, to give him some rent relief and to just send some numbers showing how much the business has been hit. He hasn't actually done that yet, so I'm, I'm waiting for that. What one skill or attribute do you need to be successful at commercial property? I think you need many skills, actually. Um, yep. And that's why I'm a big fan of buyer's agents. <laughs> yep. Especially when you're starting out, it's it's quite different than residential property. I guess if you're looking at doing it yourself, I think attention to detail is critical. Yeah, I agree. So what one resource would you recommend on commercial property? I'm not a big book reader. I, I, I If I do my reading, it's mostly online. I'm a very much an advocate of subscribing to things like podcasts and Facebook pages that are specialised in whatever area you're interested in. Thank you, Marcus, for being on fire today. Thanks very much, Andrew. It's been great chatting with you. That brings us to the end of the show. I want to thank Scott O'Neill, Chris Lang, James Dawson and Marcus War. Shout out to my boy Kevin McLeod from Incompetech for allowing me to use the music. And remember... In the words of Grant Cardone, success is your duty, obligation, and responsibility. I'm Andrew Bean, signing off. This has been a Developer Life production.